Hello, creeps. Welcome to the Horror Vanguard. I'll be your ghost. I mean host for today's exciting tale of terror. Effects or effects effective effects. <laughs> Hello, everyone, and welcome to this week's exciting, special episode of Horror Vanguard. All of our episodes are exciting and special. Each episode is its own unique, <laughs> special release. How, how are you, John? <laughs> I, I, I am very well. I'm very well. I'm very, very, I am, as always, extremely excited. Uh, back making some more fresh podcast content for everybody um keeping you keeping keeping all of the listeners occupied and entertained as as the world slowly falls into a, <laughs> an apocalyptic nightmare yes so, so socially isolate yourself with your favorite podcasts um i mean if there's one thing that goths are well known for being good at it's socially isolating so i think we're going to be fine yeah, yeah, no, I think um, I think years of like wandering cemeteries and just kind of like sitting by myself contemplating the darkness that is existence, and I'm like, okay, I'm fine with this. I'm fine with extra alone time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, this is our time. This is our time. Now, now um, we seize power. <laughs> Goth sleeper agents the world over activate. <laughs> um. Yeah, but but I am I'm very excited to talk about the film that um that you chose for us this week as I'm sure listeners are aware we alternate who chooses which film that we talk about and I think by this point you should be able to tell like I'm pretty sure like when you saw the release notes when you saw the show notes you're like this is either a John film or this is an Ash film uh so unsurprisingly this week is an Ash movie uh, so, uh, Ash, what are we talking about today? What are we talking about? Uh, today we're talking about 1979's Effects, directed by Dusty Nelson, and probably most notably starring uh, kind of the, the icons of zombie cinema, Joseph Pilato and Tom Savini. Um, well, I think it is time. It's about that time for you to do honestly I'm, I'm amazed you keep me on the show when when you provide the very, <laughs> the very best part of it it is time for an ash plot recap oh, for man. people who have never seen effects ash what is this film all about uh for people who've never seen effects this will not help you at all <laughs> So Tom Savini is a legend of horror movie special effects. Perhaps more so than any other living special effects artist, Tom Savini has had a powerful impact on how we perceive gore on the silver screen. Savini takes a practical and pragmatic approach to his effects. They're often over-the-top and gory, but there is a concerned and devoted attention to realism. Tom Savini's gore can be embodied in supernatural monsters or in zombies, and even sometimes ridiculous. But there is always that underlying understanding that the blood spurt is coming from some intentionally articulated underlying venous infrastructure. Facts, the movie, takes special effects realism into another realm altogether. The history of snuff films is largely a tapestry of special effects artists attempting to approximate the real. While true snuff films genuinely do exist, the majority of what passes under the label is meticulously designed fiction, meant to seamlessly inject itself into the popular consciousness's assessment of something that is real. The Faces of Death videos are possibly the most notorious examples of this. Having been blacklisted for being apparent snuff films, the underlying reality being that they were largely faked and just expertly done attempts at special and practical effects. Attention here emerges. Special effects artists honing their craft, audiences hungry for more, and a capitalistic world premised on an incalculable and unimaginable suffering will naturally produce, first and foremost, a genuine blood-soaked path leading to the approximation of snuff. But the real tension isn't just this approximation of snuff. The real tension is in and of itself real. That is to say, the real that the film stock rests upon. For no matter how devilish and unsettling the effects of Tom Savini can be, they will never, they can never, be as unsettling and as terrifying as the world we live in. For all of its horrifying proximity to death, 
for the intimacy of its own gore and terror, even the most realistic, fictitious snuff films pallor in comparison to the hellish and sweeping terror that wakes every morning with the rising sun. Herein, a disturbing and serious question is begged. How and why is it that a society so upset and unnerved by the fantastic approximation of gore can be likewise so comfortable and indeed in support of a system that leaves so many to fates so worse? Indeed, there we go. I didn't, I didn't, for, okay, maybe we can start by, by putting some context here. For people who are maybe not that familiar with, with Tom, <laughs> with Tom, with Tom Savini, who is Tom Savini and what kind of stuff has he been involved in? Uh, Tom Savini is is one of the most celebrated special effects artists out there. Uh, he cut his teeth on I think the first movie he ever worked on was The Exorcist, but he's he really got his his start with a lot of George Romero zombie movies. Um, he has become most famous for I guess not most famous for, but he he's also part of he does the Tom Savini special effects school. He does a lot of media appearances, so if there's kind of been like a talk show, he's been on the talk show as a guest to talk about special effects. I think I think it was David Letterman, but I think he shot David Letterman in the head once um, on, <laughs> on television. So, so uh, cool. the the Joker owes everything to Tom Savini's talk show appearances. Uh. <laughs> and that's 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 who Tom Tom Savini is. His his work is fantastic. I highly recommend his books on special effects if you're interested. Yeah, because he's his his interest is in a very much very much in a kind of practical effects work, right? So prosthetics uh, in you know in camera work. Yes, in 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 camera horror movie gore type work. You know, if, if somebody needs to start bleeding or their head needs to explode or they're gonna have a bite taken out of them, it's it's that kind of special effects. Yeah, if somebody's going to get their head chopped off, you call Tom Savini and he'll make that shit look amazing. <laughs> so why why this film? Why this film that you want? Because I think the more that we talk about this, like the more your excellent little introductory summary plot recap is going to make sense to people. Wh- whatever that film. thing has become. <laughs> <laughs> I love that it's. I love that it like it did start out as basically being a, a recap of the plot, and now every every episode it's like a different beautiful moving essay from Ash on the state of horror and on 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 how we all relate to one another. Why? Why? Thank you. <laughs> I honestly, honestly, my favorite part of the show. So let's yeah. Why? Why did you want to talk about effects? Given that you've been talking about Tom Savini and been talking about realism and 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 violence on screen, I guess if, if you know if we if we wanted to focus exclusively on Tom Savini, there are definitely better movies. <laughs> you know, like Dawn, Dawn of the Dead, right? Like, like if if you want to really like spend a lot of time in Tom Savini's special effects work, Dawn of the Dead is great is a great film for that. But I wanted to talk about effects for a couple of reasons. One, because not a lot of people have seen effects, and and I do like focusing on movies that are less less popular. You know that that, get, that don't get the attention they deserve. Um, this, is why you, this is why you come to Horror Vanguard. You get the Horror Vanguard deep cut. <laughs> <laughs> this movie was I don't, recently, fairly recently, I think, uh, released by Agfa, American Genre Film Archive. What they do is they like they they just find like american genre films that no one has ever heard of and even less people have seen and then they do 4k scans of the film and then release it on blu-ray that's amazing that's a really that's a really cool thing they're literally doing my dream job i love the work they do so much it's just finding like total total junk and then being and then and then treating it like it's like it's the holy grail and it needs to be preserved for all history and all time it's beautiful but uh, yeah, I, p- I picked effects because I think it's I think it's a very interesting film. I think there's a lot going on about our our relationship to media and our place in the media landscape inside of this film. I think um, you know it was shot on a budget of I think fifty five thousand dollars in the late seventies by a bunch of like people who work on horror movies, you know, and who were just getting their own starts in their careers. So uh, you know, it's. 
it's got some technical technical flaws let's say like the audio mixing is you gotta it's awkward at sometimes it's kind of hard to hear the dialogue but you know whatever this was a movie shot on fifty thousand dollars in 79 by a bunch of people just starting their careers so i'm fine with that yeah totally i think that i think the premise is really really interesting Mm -hmm. and um yeah, I, I thought this was an awful lot of fun. I think it raises some really interesting kind of challenging ethical questions, actually, for people who really enjoy horror. Like, how do we understand how do we understand depicted violence and what what is our relationship as a spectator to, to, to violence that's depicted on screen? Because, you know, the whole thing about this film is like, well, you want it to be real right you want it to that's the whole point that's the whole point of someone like tom savini's work right you want it to look real Uh, but at the same time if you get too close to that realism then it suddenly starts to become something else completely i don't know i think that i think that's one of the things about this film which i find the most interesting yeah yeah i also i really i really love that line and i really love that tension you know and i think um horror cinema has a way of becoming more real than real and i think you know like like this movie is a, is a great example of it because here you know the, the the plot of the movie is a bunch of uh amateur filmmakers are are shooting a horror horror suspense movie but what they don't know is that behind the scenes the director is actually shooting a real snuff film and he's using all of them as pawns in his game and that's and then uh, you know a bunch of people get killed and then he releases his snuff film at the end of the movie. Well, that's maybe one of the most that's maybe one of the most unsettling moments in the film, right? Because the director's name is um, Lacey, and so Lacey and a couple of the couple of the other kind of crew are hanging out one night drinking. Do loads of people in this movie are just doing lines of coke and I'm like ah, it was the 80s I that's was going to say late what... 70s early 80s I think that's kind of how it went then right <laughs> uh, yeah like oh, we, we're on a we're on a break between takes what should we do let's do some lines of coke off a mirror um, <laughs> <laughs> could you imagine the kind of discretionary income you would need to be able to just do lines of coke off a mirror on your job break like uh, I can't incredible. I can't ima- I can barely afford my wine budget man like come on <laughs> <laughs> and so, okay, so, uh, so Lacey and a few other people that on the crew. It's the end of the day. They're they're hanging out in, in one of the houses that they're working in, kind of getting drunk. And it's um, it's the guy who does um, who's the camera operator, who's called uh, Dom, right? I yeah. think it's Dom. So Dom comes down and they go, "Hey, come hang out with us." some fat lines of coke and then Lacey <laughs> and then Lacey says he's going to put on a film he's going to show them a film yep. that he was he was sent by a friend in England um, and the film is like the film is is maybe the, the thing within the film which is the hardest to watch do you want to do you want to kind of take it from there? What do you think of that scene where he shows them a a particular film that he thinks will be interesting? So when when he sits them down to watch this film, you you, you kind of get the impression that they think that they're going to sit down and watch another kind of like indie horror movie, something closer to what they themselves are making. Yeah, because they're talking about like practical effects. They're talking yes. about like how do you make it look real? Mm-hmm. Uh, what Lacey what Lacey shows them is kind of like it looks like it was like. Incredibly low budget, you know, we just shot with amateur technology on like, I don't know, black and white 16 millimeter or something. Uh, but it's but it's a it's a snuff film that he shows them. Right. It's a, it's a naked woman bound to a chair and then a guy in a black hood who, who tortures her with a straight razor until he ultimately kills her at the end. The film lasts for like 15, 30 seconds. Uh, what what I find really interesting about the position of this is is we have three layers of film inside of this film technically four and i think i think they're all really interestingly placed right we have we have kind of the basic layer of the film which is the the characters who are trying to make a movie then there's the movie they're making then there's the snuff film they're watching then there's a snuff film they're a part of that they don't know they're a part of which is all within the film that we're watching yes which is which is i think one of the coolest things that happens here right is there's this inversion you know, because we, who are we in this movie? 
Right. We are we are we are sitting next to Lacey watching an alleged snuff film ourselves. Effects falls under the category of alleged snuff films. Right. Like like this movie was a rumor and a myth for so long. And if it wasn't for the fact that Tom Savini and Joseph Pilato are like hyper recognizable Hollywood celebrities, you know, like if, if, if their careers would have never taken off, th- this could be one of those rumored like, oh, who are these men who made this strange snuff film that never saw popular release? There could be mystery, but there isn't because, you know, Tom Savini is a household name. But I think I think the interesting thing that happens here is that we we become the other filmmakers right we our our closest approximation is to them we're sitting in this room unknowingly watching a snuff film but what is the implication there the implication there is that we are also part of a snuff film that we do not know we're a part of and i think that that is like possibly this movie's like most deft moment is is everything after the screening of the snuff film inside of the movie Yeah, I think so too. And I really like the way that it kind of implicates the viewer because Dom Dom gets kind of really upset by what he's seen and it said, says to Lacey, you know, you 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 you're sick. It doesn't it doesn't matter it doesn't matter who you are if you pay to see that. If you pay to see that then you know, you've done something kind of morally abhorrent. And whereas Lacey's like, well, you know, it's isn't it your job to make this look real? You know, your job is to make something that people are going to leave going. Should we have seen that? Was that was that was that real? Was that? And it's really interesting. The um, the other kind of guy who's there, he's a, just like a member of the crew, and he's, he's like the muscle. You know, he's like the guy who's just there to like lift the lighting rigs into place. Um, at first, he's he's really upset, and then right at the end, he goes, "Oh, go and put it put it on again. Let's watch it again." And that's a really interesting moment as well, right? This implication of being drawn to this spectacular uh, representation of something that is is attractive precisely because of its reality, even though you're presented to it through this really mediated frame of a viewing experience. Like, uh, what does Lacan say about the real? The real is, is inherently traumatic. It's what we... We have to mediate our encounters with it. We have to kind of get away from it somehow. And so, like a film is an encounter with, it's a it's a mediation. It's 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 fantasy. But when you put something like that, when you depict something like that on screen, you you shatter it and you put it into the context of the, of the capital R real, which is not only not only depicting a kind of horrific misogynistic violence obviously but is it's traumatic for the people seeing it but it's also you know Lacan said that the real was was too much for us to take in but we're drawn towards it I think that this is really interesting I think it's really interesting that part part of the framework is 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 asking the viewer like what the hell are you doing and and I love I love that that it, that's this movie places that so uncomfortably next to something that's supposedly real, right? Because like the the underlying reality is that everything in this film is fake. You know the 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 film is fake. The snuff film they're making is fake, and the snuff film they're watching is fake. It's it's this staggering layer of falsehoods. But but there but there's a true snuff film that, that that goes on with this, and that's like you know not not to be too hack about it, but like the real snuff film here is society. <laughs> we I, uh, Ash Ash, are you? I don't know. Are you trying to tell us that we do indeed live within a society? Yes, <laughs> we live in a snuff film, <laughs> and I, and I think like that's that's the tension. That's the tension that this movie is playing with, right? Because like, if 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 you were to find out that someone in in, in your community had filmed a, a snuff film in which one person had died and it was real, uh, it would be a horrifying incident that would wound the community for generations. Yeah, you know? absolutely. Um, but like in every major city, uh, hundreds of homeless people die outside in the cold every year. And that, like, I, I guarantee you, no one who heard me say that phrase winced. You know, but like, like that is the tension that this movie is playing with. That for some reason, the 
the reality and the falsehoods of of snuff films and horror graphic effects are for some reason more tense, more disgusting, more disturbing than the tragedies that we kind of wade through on a daily basis. No, I think I think this idea that we can be uh, you know picky about what we're morally outraged by is just us trying to make ourselves feel slightly better you know about the fact that we exist within a society of kind of hideous violence that we don't seem to be that bothered about but when it gets dangerously close to being real that's when we suddenly you know go oh so and, and it gets very moralistic as well right something must be done but what is going to be done what is going to be done because how does this film end right how does this film end it ends with like this is a, a huge success it's a phenomenal success this film and it's the film that the actors and participants didn't know was being made all along you know people get drawn to the real that there's a kind of voyeurism to it there's a voyeurism to this violence and there is a huge amount of you know to quote our problematic fave Slavo Zizek <laughs> Zizek distinguishes between subjective and objective violence, right? That system which ensures that, you know, tens of thousands, hundreds of thousands of people are kept homeless and on the streets and and forced to suffer the kind of grossest indignities is a, is a systemic violence, which forms the kind of background noise of many people's yes. perceptions of society. And it's only subjective violence which attracts this kind of, like, uh, moralistic revulsion and I think you're perfectly I think you're quite right to kind of make the point that you know what is what is the society in which we exist for some people if not a way of spectac- spectacularizing, turning into a spectacle their their, um, their, their suffering and pain you know, yeah. you can only be judged as being worthy of being helped if you have, have suffered a great deal. And I think effects plays on this and kind of implicates the viewer in a way that not a lot of horror films I've seen do. Yeah, yeah. I, I think I think the carving out the, the distinction uh, between the kind of background noise of agony that we're all kind of numb to and the, the, these little blips that are spectacularized by the media is a, is a great kind of framing device for this conversation, right? Or it's, it's probably the, the best critical insight with which to understand the context of this film, you know, or to give it context, rather. And I think, like, like look at look at the American primary that we're in right now, right? Like, uh, Joe, Joe Biden uh, just announced that he would consider a woman as his vice president. And, and all of the kind of, like, center media channels are like, oh, Joe Biden's so progressive. Look what he's doing. It's so good for feminism. When in, when in reality, like, all of Joe Biden's policies are the most anti-feminist things you could ever possibly imagine. Any woman who would work with him is a traitor to the very concept of feminism. You know, like, like but what we're, what we're given is spectacle. What we're staring at is spectacle. What we're ignoring is that background noise, that white noise of oppressive violence that's just always there. Joe Biden's candidacy is a snuff film. <laughs> I think... No, I, I I completely agree, and it's done that way deliberately because if we were to conf- like, is it possible to have meaningful ethical action in that kind of system? Arguably, no. Right? How can how can you when everything that you are presented with is merely a kind of a round of compromises that we're supposed to kind of endure and put up with? You know, we're supposed to go every, you know, every single time. It's like, you know, vote for the lesser of two evils, vote for the lesser of two evils. You never get to vote for something actually good because that's not something which is permitted to occur. I think you're totally right. I, th- I think permissible boundaries is one of the stronger subtexts of this film. You know, you have you have so many currents of unknown levels of consent and lack of consent, right? That snuff film that Lacey and the others watch halfway through this film, we we really don't know anything about it, right? Is it is it just like a faces of death video where they where they intentionally shoot it on low low grain film stock in order to to sell off a reality, right? Is the amateurishness of that shot 
actually a very carefully practiced routine that would signal reality or is it real you know we don't we don't really know you know we lack that information and i think i think that's that's kind of one of the important things going on in this film yeah absolutely i mean realism is not realistic we've talked about this a lot yes on this show right realism is not realistic actually what is effects i think is actually chillingly realistic in certain mm. places but it's realistic in in a kind of in in the language of genre cinema right so you have um you have the moments where in the final kind of 10 15 minutes you you start to see what has really been going on all, or on all along you start to see what Lacey has been planning and what's really good about this film is that it puts you in it puts you in the in the editing suite right you get to you get to hear uh, Lacey and the rest of the editing crew kind of piece together the narrative they want to tell. They're like they're telling uh, Nikki Tom Savini's character where to go, where to take him, uh, where like because they the spoilers in the final um, act of the film they take Dom out into the woods because they want to murder him. Um, they want to get his death caught on camera, and he is there's a kind of chase sequence where he tries to escape but you're put in the perspective like there's this blue filter over the lens and you're kind of like in the point of view of like a cameraman looking for the right shots um and it's really it's a really disorienting moment because suddenly you're like yeah it would look you know there's a bit of you that gets drawn into the process of going oh yeah if we cross cut here then maybe mm. oh oh he's down by the trees like you get put into the position of someone who wants to see the spectacle enacted and the film doesn't kind of shy away from going there's an ethical accusation in there the point of the comparison that i i was thinking about was the the kind of early 2000s saw this kind of spate of like low budget slashes and a few remakes of classic slashes as well but instead of spending time like uh, cuz they remade uh Nightmare on Elm Street didn't they and instead of spending time and kind of like you know building up uh, characters like Nancy and getting you to empathize with them so that when they're in danger you kind of are worried these films all like most of them came out of Platinum Dunes, uh, Michael Bay's production at her house. Um, most of these films were like, we're just going to give you targets. We're going to give you targets, and there's going to be this like dark libidinal thrill of watching these like uh, beautiful teenagers get murdered brutally. And I think that's what this effects effects does it too, but it kind of turns an accusatory gaze back at you going, This is what you wanted. Why is it why is this what you wanted? Why is it you want why is it that you wanted to see Tom Savini chase somebody through the forests with a rifle wanting to get them wanting to see them get murdered? So I I think effects is much cannier, it's much more morally and kind of ethically aware of what it means to depict horror than something like you know the 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 texas chainsaw sequel or the or the nightmare remake where it's like all we want is the violence we don't want to have to think about the ethics of violence whereas this is like well you wanted the violence but now i'm going to make you consider the ethics of it yeah, yeah, I, I almost feel that in horror cinema, we kind of have two two different kind of meditations you can have on depicting violence, right? You have you have effects, and then you have Army of the Dead. You know, you you have you have these two very disparate approaches where, like, on on a very kind of like by a, by a very pragmatic um, measurement. I'm sorry, Army of Darkness. There we go, Evil Dead Army of Darkness. Thanks, Brian. Um, but like on a very pragmatic level, Army of Darkness is an infinitely gorier movie than 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 effects and than, than a lot of other films. There are fountains of blood, m- multiple dismemberments, beheadings, just 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 mountains of gore getting hit at you all the time. But but the distinction here is camp, right? Like like Army of Darkness knows how ridiculous it's being. It knows how intense it is, and it plays it as being over the top. Effects, on the other hand, and I, I think the scene in effects that really sells this for me is early on in the film, uh, Lacey and two special effects artists are outside and they're having an argument over how um, a scene is going to go. And, and, and in the scene, a woman is going to have her leg stabbed 
Right. And they, they've built this prosthetic leg and they have uh, like plastic tubes running through it that are going to pump fake blood. And, and, and the guy's like, OK, like the slash is going to go here and then here's the blood pump going and some blood pumps out of the leg. And at least he's like, no, no, no. I want it to be ridiculous. Right. Like I want like I want that first stab and then bam, a fountain of blood comes out. And then another one of these special effects artists begins to argue that like, OK, that's not realistic. That's not how blood flows. That a vein wouldn't be there. It wouldn't work that way. And Lacey is really adamant. And then the, the other special effects artist is like, you know what? If, if you want intensity, why not do it like this? And then she just frenzied and, and maniacally just slashes and digs into this prosthetic leg and covers herself and Lacey with blood in the process. And right in, in the context of the movie, she's disgruntled and frustrated about the production. She doesn't think the movie's going anywhere and it's not interesting. So she's just letting out her own frustrations. But I think in a broader context, it's calling it's calling this very uh, argument into question, right? Because like a, a direct stab into a, a leg like that wouldn't have a gigantic fountain of blood that spurts everywhere. That's unrealistic. What would be realistic is if you hacked it to pieces brutally. And I think that brutality is is one of the key things that that we're kind of teasing apart here, right? Is it's really not about gore. It's really not about the acts themselves that are being committed. It's really about the brutality of it. I think that's a really interesting. I think that's a really interesting way of looking at it. Actually, um, yeah, it's about the. It's about motivation, right? It's about why is this? Why is this happening? What is? What's the purpose? Why? And you can go. Yeah, some of it is just for entertainment, but like. You know, there's uh, there's like early Peter Jackson films which are like shockingly violent. Amazing, amazing movies. But, but they're amazing, and they're basically they're basically cartoons. Uh, so you never under the impression that this is supposed to be a kind of very similitudinous uh, reading of what actual violence inflicted upon another person is supposed to be like. There's a kind of ironic distancing that they employ. It's like this isn't, you know, this is this is all. It's all like a big game uh, for a lot of a lot of this kind of. Uh, what was it that Peter Jackson called it? Like splat stick. <laughs> That's the kind of filmmaking it is, right? It's supposed to be a cartoon. It's supposed to be funny. Whereas, like that, you know, the kind of frenzied stabbing in those kind of films is accompanied by like a comedy sound effect, or like you know, somebody's head getting chopped off is like a big melon splat in the <laughs> ground. But this kind of film. It is deliberately predicated upon the idea that the best kind of violence is the stuff that's real, the stuff you know where there is no, there is no. What you said, there was a kind of sense of camp or a sense of levity, or this idea that it's, you know, uh, it's it's not something that's supposed to be kind of tracking onto the real world in some way because it's. You know, there's a, there's distancing that's used in the language of film to make you go. Oh well, this isn't supposed to be taken seriously, you know. Nobody. Oh, what's the what's the what's the name of that Peter Jackson film? Um, his really famous early one, Dead Alive, Bad Taste. Yes, uh, Dead Alive. No one is thinking Dead Alive. Oh yeah, that's 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 realistic. <laughs> that's yeah. Wait, that wait, it's like not. A... That's not no. a documentary. Oh shit. <laughs> um, but. The violence that they talk about in effects and the violence that Lacey is kind of obsessed with is violence that has none of the the, the camp, the levity, the the um, cartoonishness, the splatstick element that makes those kind of films a kind of fun, cathartic experience. You know what they have. What they have instead is like, you know, you feel you feel like how uh, Dom feels after having watched the snuff film. You go, oh, I don't know about that. I feel I feel depressed now. I haven't... There's no kind of joyful catharsis in it. There's that great Roger Ebert quote about horror films where he says, like, a good horror film makes you, feel, makes you glad that you're alive, whereas a bad one just makes you depressed that you live in a world like that. Yeah, yeah, I think that, 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 that that's kind of interesting, and I don't know if I would necessarily agree with Roger Ebert about that. No, no, I don't I, know if I necessarily agree, but I think it's um I think it's a good way into thinking about what what's what what are the what's the kind of like 
cinematic requirements and ethical problems of showing violence on screen? Yeah, I, th- I think there's a lot of interesting questions we can explore here. And for me, one of them is that, like, I, I don't think the ethical problem with, uh, I don't know, bucket of blood is that it has a bucket of blood in it. I think the, the ethical problem with a lot of these films is that, like, it's the ethical problem that permeates and exists through everything, right? You know, we, we live in a patriarchal, white supremacist, anti-socialist society. And that that is the ethical concern that we're dealing with. The ethical concern isn't the consumption of violent media. The ethical concern is that the system that produces this violent media has agendas that are far darker than, than the violence we're viewing can ever possibly be. And I think that, that that's, that's part part of the kind of like discourse and the distinction here right is that like like i think like you're right about what happens at the end of the movie like his film his film gets play you know his real snuff film is out there it's in a theater it's successful you know and we're, we're led to believe that like he somehow covered up all of these deaths he got away with it otherwise his movie wouldn't be in theaters you know he would have been caught by someone and like like what what could possibly explain that outside of like a society that doesn't value human life? Yeah, that's the chilling thing, right? You know, he he gets away with it. He he is a success. You know, we and I think that's that that thing that you said there is really important. This idea that the true ethical problem of of violence in horror is by what measure are we are we valuing life, right? Mm-hmm. Because there is certain, there are certain horror films. Um, we were talking about Neil Marshall before we started recording, and I, I really love The Descent. Um, yes, so good. I, I think the, I think the ending to The Descent is incredible. Uh, as a, as a, as a kind of, you know, because that's a pretty violent movie, and there is this, there's this catharsis, there's this great kind of crushing end, and you're like, you know what, the, the violence there feels earned. It feels significant. It feels like it's. It's it's doing something in the wider kind of context of what this film wants to talk about in 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 how horror is an important tool of processing trauma, in how it's it's a great way of dealing with the kind of horrors of existence. But then there are certain films where you see it and go, this this violence is reducing people or or at the very least kind of facsimiles of people into like disposable toys that you get to kind of squishily pull apart for no other reason than to kind of give you a kind of cheap voyeuristic thrill and that I think is the kind of violence which is a little bit kind of like uh, could we be doing something slightly better I I will I think I will put my my neck on the line as it were and say there's nothing wrong with a cheap voyeuristic thrill like I think that the pure essence of a cheap voyeuristic thrill is is okay in and of itself. Like, I don't think there's something uh, inherently dangerous o- about that, right? Like, I'm thinking about Herschel Gordon Lewis's Color Me Blood Red, Roger Corman's A Bucket of Blood, Wizard of Gore, you know, like, like uh, in, in even effects itself, right? Like, like, look at the title of effects. Like, this movie is about practical stage effects. This is about the magic that goes into the silver screen. And I think, like... There's, there's nothing wrong. Like, I love a good practical effect. Like, we, we talked about Cam recently with Mistress Snow. And, like, my favorite part of that movie is when she slits her throat in the beginning. Because I just, like, my mind immediately went to, like, how would you do a Cam show and not reveal the fact that you're wearing a prosthetic on your neck that's going to pump out blood? You know, like... Inher- inherently, no. I, I agree with you. But frequently or potentially i think yeah maybe well i I think i think the problem the problem comes in not not from the the voyeurism itself right like let's let's take uh uh, i don't know just kind of of any of these movies you know like there's, there's nothing wrong with a display and exercise of the gore of special effects you know, like that, that's an artistic exploration. And if you want to make a movie, that's an intensely real exploration of that. Then like there's, there's nothing inherently about that that would 
upset me in either direction. I think I think the thing for me comes down to that like we we need to be we need to do this with um, a little bit more care, you know, because like look at the Transformers movies, right? Like the, those have the, those have zero care or concern for pretty much anything. It's like one hundred percent pure spectacle. And and what do they achieve by being one hundred percent pure spectacle? Well, you don't get to see the kind of like uh, boundless grandeur that is uh, the high high end computer graphic animation, and and like this 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 great visual spectacle full of explosions and giant fighting robots and space and all these things. Like what what you wind up getting is like incredibly sexist pro military like propaganda shit. And that's because it, 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 we're all flowing in this current together. Like, that is the current of society. And when you kind of just passively make things, they'll get swept up into that current. And I think that this doesn't make uh, Gorno any more... Or Gorno, rather, isn't any more susceptible to that than any other genre. I think we just have an outsized way of noticing it because of what Gorno is. You know, like even even when we're being critical of our media, we can write off um, the Transformers films as like oh, and like the Star Wars, the new Star Wars movies. You know, we can write those oh, they're, they're, these are kids' movies. They're fun space battles. It's nerd culture. It's geek stuff. These are toys. You know, we we write them off so then we don't have to talk about the fact that like all of the new Star Wars movies are about, are about like um, a, a, a liberal centrist government that's kind of okay with the fascist overlords and they don't really do much about it shrug you know like like it's it's a poorly thought of reflection of the world we're living in but we don't really have to talk about that because it's a it's geek culture it's nerd culture it's more important to talk about race character arc and like how it relates to star wars as a whole and the disney franchise plans that's what we focus on but like if if the same if like a a studio released a triple a gorno film that recreated these currents we would all lose our damn minds because you can't write that off it it, it it's these these movies are inherently challenging and because of that you can't reduce them in the same way that you can reduce and dismiss other categories of film yeah i think i think that's fair and i think maybe maybe my concern is like there are films which are you know, I, I've you know I've talked about this before that I've never been a huge fan of like what we call torture porn or Gorno. I think it's I think a lot of it is not even distasteful. I think a lot of it is quite dull. Um, <laughs> I think I just think a lot of it's quite boring. There's a, there are there are films which are like really gory and really explicitly violent, which are trying to do something beyond the kind of reduction of the human body to meat uh, beyond a kind of like squishy firework show. Yeah. Um, and I think that is more interesting and that's more, that's why I actually really like effects because it raises those kind of ethical questions about, um, I mean, I've, I've, I've talked about this one doing like lectures on, on the depiction of the serial killer in American horror cinema where, um, like we tend to be drawn towards serial killer characters such as Hannibal. Like the Hannibal TV show aestheticizes violence to an incredibly high degree. Like it looks incredible. It looks amazing. And I really I really like Hannibal. But it's very different if you compare if you compare something like Hannibal to something like Henry Portrait of Serial Killer. Which is like a really good reminder of what violence actually is you know cinema is great at projecting a kind of fantasy you know this idea of oh none of this is real so it's it's a cathartic space in which to enjoy our feelings of watching these annoying teenagers get you know turned into into you know salami <laughs> but, but occasionally i think it's really valuable to look at you know how is the sausage made what is what is what's the uh actuality of violence that we often aestheticize into just a kind of enjoyable spectacle and i don't think there's anything like you know I, I agree with you i don't think there's anything wrong with it in and of itself i think what's really important is that we don't set aside the fact that horror is not simply entered i think it's really easy to yes, fall into this absolutely. when you're talking about like uh herschel gordon lewis it's very easy to go oh it's just entertainment but i actually think if you take that kind of violence seriously 
you know, it forces you to address the kind of ethical and moral problems that horror talks about. Minor. Go, uh, sorry, go on. Yeah. I was going to say minor sidebar. Um, we we have pushed the Herschel Gordon Lewis button several times, and and I think the last couple months worth of episodes. Uh, so, dear horror vanguard listeners, please uh, get in touch with us on social media or wherever. And let us know which Herschel Gordon Lewis movie we should cover, because there are so many, <laughs> yes. and each one of them deserves to be in the Louvre. But this is the thing that we talked about when we were talking about Salo, right? That's really, that's a really um, ethically complicated film, and it's because of its apparent verisimilitude, because of its apparent realism. And I think it's really easy and really tempting and maybe kind of understandable for us to set aside all of those ethical questions and and areas when we're confronted with a film that turns violence into an enjoyable spectacle for us. But I think it's really important for us to go, right, why is this enjoyable? Yes, absolutely. what, What about this violence is appealing to me personally? Yeah, yeah, and I, I think that, that that's a really, really, really important distinction to make, right? I listen to a lot of horror punk music. It's essentially all just like pop punk except about spoopy movies. And like one of the reoccurring themes of these films or these songs is violence against women, right? And, and a lot of it is just recreation of tropes from horror cinema but it has like zero critical awareness of where those tropes come from and then that that winds up being regurgitated by by an audience of consumers and i think that's a great kind of like horror specific example of what we're talking about here like you, we need to interrogate the sources of violence and why violence happens you know and, and like like I, I spit on your grave is one of the most notorious and the most violent horror movies out there but the violence in that movie is is so expertly intentional everything we're seeing every every moment we're along for the ride is is done with a lot of care and a lot of intention it's still a a like hashtag problematic film it's troubling difficult to move through but like it 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 gives us an, an awareness of its violence unlike say any given transformers movie which has or like better yet uh, uh man of steel man of steel had zero awareness of its violence uh, a Man of Steel levels downtown Metropolis at the end of the movie, and that must have killed tens of thousands, if not more people. Right? Metropolis is a city the size of New York. Uh, uh, untold thousands must have died when that happened. And and you know the DC Cinematic Universe never really cared about that because that level of violence isn't a concern for them. You know, like like they wanted the spectacle without any of the discourse. And, and like I said this on another episode, but that makes those movies infinitely more morally disgusting and infinitely more morally abject than I Spit on Your Grave. I Spit on Your Grave is, is visually hard to move through, but in terms of the messaging around the violence and how it's contextualized and portrayed, like Man of Steel is morally abject and every copy needs to be burnt. <laughs> you know, like. I mean, I think this is why I really like, I really like effects. I think it's a really interesting film. I mean, maybe here's a good example of what we might mean by the difference between subjective and objective violence. Subjective violence is a police officer being killed in the line of duty. Objective violence is the systemic working of a uh, deeply violent, racist, carceral state that uses the police as an instrument by which to brutalize communities of color. Yes, That's, that is a that is an objective condition of life under contemporary late capitalism. However, it is the subjective violence of the you know the the the, the police officer who's who's. Uh, shot dead whilst trying to take a door somewhere that's supposed to be the thing that we care about so I think I think it's really important to remember that when we're talking about how does horror deal with the ethics of violence this distinction between uh, subjective and objective violence can be really useful and if there is a kind of violence that is supposed to appeal to us I am kind of maybe more naturally inclined to be suspicious towards that because in many ways that's what the objective violence of wider society does, right? We're not supposed to question the cops. We're supposed to be on the police officer's side. 
you know, we're not supposed to look closely at the violence that they meet out on a daily basis towards uh, poor people, towards sex workers, towards people who are uh, immigrants, etc., 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 etc. Police, very bad. Um, <laughs> but we're not supposed to look at that, but we are all supposed to be like really deeply invested in the idea that one of them might be hurt doing this kind of thing. So I think that distinction between subjective and objective violence is a really important thing to pay attention to. And the violence that we're told to care about and the violence that we're told to celebrate is not disconnected from the cultural products that deal with and experiment and depict violence in various ways. Yes. And I think that's a really that's a really complex problem. And I don't I don't necessarily have a kind of succinct way to sort of sort of solve that issue. But I think that's some of the stuff that effects brings up. Yeah, yeah, definitely. I, I think there there really is no clean way to take this apart, and that's that's part of the the difficulty of trying to like explicate and understand media, right? Is the, these things are diaphanous and multimodal and functioning on multiple levels, and that inherently makes them uh, necessarily self contradictory. I, I think. One of the things that I, I would kind of bring to the the nuance buffet that we're we're enjoying right now um, is that horror cinema has a unique place in our, our greater media landscape. In um, part of that place is it is kind of the media de jour that needs to be blamed when things start to go wrong. Right. When whenever like um, post Columbine, post Columbine is, is easily the best example of this, you know, post Columbine, what happened? Like black, black trench coats banned Marilyn Manson banned horror movies, incredibly subject to question metal music, incredibly subject to question. Uh, the school I was going to at the time banned all pagan books because paganism was what caused the shooting or something like that. And I think like, you know, for all of its problems, Bowling for Columbine really interrogates this question because it interrogates the thing like, okay, there were also avid bowlers. Do we blame bowling as well? And I think that like this, this is, this is part of the discourse here. Cause there is a lot of impetus to be like, oh, well those, those saw movies are nasty, evil, nasty people must watch them. You know, like that's what's wrong with society. We have we have moral degradation that has led us to down the path of wickedness. And then all of a sudden, like, you know, once we once we start giving credence to this line of discourse, we're immediately dredging up like these weird reactionary Christian talking points. And I think I think it's it's a it's a tightrope walk to be able to balance the fact that like the reactionary impulse to critique horror is at odds but deeply close to the kind of left impulse to critique horror. I mean, that that kind of criticism that, oh, uh, these people who were exposed to this cultural product did a, did a thing which is morally uh, wrong is what happens when you have a kind of ethical system that's completely detached from mm-hmm. any sense of the material conditions which produce a certain kind of person or a certain kind of action. I think, so the, th- the thing is, is like... That, that's what a lack of materialism gets you, right? You know, these horror films are not uh, a sign of a kind of moral corruption. They are a symptom and a diagnosis of things which are materially based. And this is not to excuse individual agency either, because I think that's the other mistake that you can fall into from a leftist point of view when you're talking about violence. You know, we like violence is 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 not something that can just be, oh, well, these people never had a chance. They were always going to do this kind of thing. I think that's what makes it, it so complicated. So this idea of kind of falling into morally reductive uh, ethic moral panicking you know once somebody think of the children is again a way of focusing on subjectivity rather than the objective systems from which violent acts like this emerge yes absolutely background level of violence so to be honest there's a kind of way in which this is maybe correct where you go okay so if this is the kind of film that's being produced again it's like sallow the question is like the the point is not that Pasolini is some dangerous uh, degenerate out to corrupt the youth. 
it's like, well, what kind of what kind of world and system do we exist in where this is something that is being produced? You know, Pasolini used it as an indictment of um, of fascism. So, in the case of effects, it's like this kind of product is fulfilling a need in an audience. Right, this kind of this this the, the snuff film is a huge success. That's how the film ends. Uh, so it's like, well, where did that need come from? And isn't it so telling that this is a film made on the very cusp of the Reaganite eighties, mm-hmm. where greed is good, where the where where the only thing that matters is success. Uh, the only thing that matters is is uh, fulfilling whatever desires you personally may have, and there is no space for anything like collectivity there is no space for any uh you know agency beyond the thing of i want this and i am now the consumer yeah i think that's um i think that that brings up something really interesting that that kind of i think we need to talk about the end more the end of effects right because the the, the entire movie is fun and entertaining and all of the characters are, are just like I kind, of, I kind of get the sense that a lot of people were just playing who they were yeah you know like because the characters are all like they're way too lived in and way too real so these this is either like a a incredibly talented cast of actors or <laughs> they were just being themselves with fake names either way it worked great um but the movie's phenomenal and then once we get to that ending you know like you're you're absolutely right. Like we're we're rounding the corner into Reagan's America, you know. We're rounding the corner into to the you know like this this deep advancement and the deep destruction of any kind of social safety net in the United States. You know, we're we're rounding the corner into a world where like if if somebody spent their entire life making making lacy style snuff films, they would be responsible for a level of violence and a level of human suffering that is only a tiny fraction of what you know a mid-tier insurance company executive is directly responsible for yep a hundred percent it and is it, a systemic yes. issue it is not it is not an object it is not a subjective moral failing and that's and that, that's the thing at the end that's really interesting for me right is he makes this snuff film and then it gets a wide release you know like whatever whatever distribution company picked this thing up wasn't concerned they were fundamentally unconcerned and and it's because somewhere along the line a studio executive was like oh yeah this will make dollars at the box office i don't really care how you did it and that's that's the thing i've been kind of talking about right which what that does is that implicates the audience you know it isn't is it isn't enough to go oh well this is a systemic reflection of how you know capitalism produces a certain kind of director but it's also a systemic indictment of the certain kind of audience that is produced right it that exec would never have thought it would have been a success unless they had a good idea that yeah there's a lot of people who would be happy to sit and pay good money for an actual real life snuff film yeah yeah absolutely i think that that is like a stark reality of this and i think like if we really need to critique our experiences within this film right like the film is essentially asking you what your relationship to systemic violence is this entire time up until the end of the film you're a passive spectator you know you've 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 buckled up your seatbelt and you're sitting back and you're you're for lack of a better word enjoying the violence you're watching and in part of that is that you know, when, we're, when you're watching a movie, you know that the violence is fake. You know that nothing happens on screen is real and that everybody went home at the end of the day and had a good time and washed off their fake blood. But another part of that is like, okay, like once once we're done with that rather blasé reality, what then is your relationship to systemic violence? What are you doing about the systemic violence you're experiencing, right? Are you going to be like the studio execs that greenlit an obvious snuff film? Yeah, or are you going to take a different path? Do you, do you, do we, do we, do I, do all of us see the systemic, what Zizek calls objective violence that we exist within? And does that bother us more or less than the subjective violence that is produced because of it? 
And I think that's a really difficult question. That's an incredibly hard thing to kind of grapple with because, like I say, I don't think there's an I don't think there's an easy answer to that. Yeah, and there is definitely not. <laughs> I, w- I would totally agree with that. Um, so we're we're coming up on an hour here. Do you have any uh, closing thoughts about effects? You know, uh, when I saw that it was a Tom Savini film from the very late seventies, I was not expecting to have an in-depth conversation about, <laughs> about, about the ethics about of Zizek and, and and the nature of oppressive violence. Yeah, <laughs> uh, and the ethics of how horror deals with violence. Uh, violent horror movies are cool and and fun and often really really enjoyable. But I think I think basically what we've been trying to say is that like we maybe need to think pretty carefully about what our relationship is to them um and also what kind what the kinds of violence and the and the and the ethics and and kind of politics of it because it's really easy for fascist or reactionary politics to spectacularize violence against certain groups um and to make it into part of the objective systemic violence that we exist within and I think we should be we should be more outraged at the systems of violence rather than you know getting drawn into making the mistake of you know moralizing about subjective occurrences. Yeah, yeah, I, I think I think that's absolutely right. You know, I, I think that if if violent movies that are going for a a realistic violence, you know, that they're, they're trying to to guide you in to a seriousness. Films films like this, films like I Spit on Your Grave, the the Saw franchise, if what they're trying to do needs to be interrogated because that's the whole point of these films, right? You know, you don't you don't sit down to make something that, you know, could be confused for a snuff film unless you want to invite that kind of discourse. I think that's that's something that is is part of what we're viewing here. That's part of the experience, right? You're supposed to walk away from a lot of these kinds of films feeling a little uncomfortable, having some some odd and challenging questions to ask. And I think anyone who says, oh, you're massively overthinking it is falling into a really easy trap, you know, which is that you go, oh, this is just, this is, it's just entertainment, it's just a product, it doesn't, it doesn't reflect anything. So, like, especially with things which are, you know, we exist in, in, in many ways, a kind of horrifying world. We exist within a very violent system and so the refusal to take violence seriously no matter how it's presented to us is 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 a, is i think a kind of mistake yeah yeah i i would say that that's completely right like i think i think we need to be very aware of how the violence in our media intersects with and interacts with the violence in the world at large and i think that that is kind of the central thesis of effects and and it's kind of proof for something that maybe I don't know maybe horror fans are not that comfortable talking about, which is that I I I've I've thought for quite a while that horror as a form is a very is is a very ethically interested kind of cultural form, you know. But we often don't want to talk about ethics because it implies a kind of normativism. It implies a sort of like you know. It's often used as a conservative critique to bludgeon horror with, but I think films like this and you know films like art, a whole bunch of other texts that we've been talking about kind of prove that horror is is actually really interested in these big ethical questions, and it would be a mistake to sort of not engage in it and just leave it to the conservative right that says, oh, these are ethically bad. We need to go, actually, there's violence within it, but our ethical response and our moral response is really important and worth talking about too. Yeah, I would completely agree with that. I think that's a a very, very fair assessment of what's going on behind the scenes. Well... But yeah, Excellent. Effects. It's 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 really good. It's a really good. It movie. is so good. Yeah, I highly, I highly um, recommend it if you haven't seen it out there. If if you are in the UK, Effects is on YouTube. The whole thing. It is. It's really fun. It, you can tell that it was made for like zero money. Um, 
<laughs> but it it makes it, it raises some really interesting questions. So if you have not seen it, I strongly recommend checking it out. Yeah, yeah, I th- I think um my my closing statement will be like a craft thing, but like when when you have a really tight budget on your film, you need to scale according to the resources you have access to. Right. And like this is this kind of like a foil you see in a lot of like really low budget cinema is that they'll be like exterior, opulent gothic mansion at night, but they won't have the skill or technology to shoot at night and it'll actually be exterior, uh, someone's apartment building day, <laughs> you know, and like like this movie, they are 100 percent aware of what they do. So what do they have access to? They're all filmmakers. So they have access to a lot of filmmaking equipment. They know about filmmaking. They're skilled in it. So they make their whole movie around that world. And it works so incredibly well for it. Yeah, I could could not agree more. Well, that was effects, everyone. <laughs> Thank you for sticking around through this discourse on uh, Zizek, violence, and horror cinema. And we will see you next time. Ha 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 